The year, 1992. The place, Atlanta, Georgia. The players, the former champion, Bill Elliott. The prodigy, Davey Allison. And the underdog, Alan Kowicki. Oh yeah, and some guy named Jeff Gordon was also there. Not really sure if he matters or not, guys. He had a porn stash at the time. How would one race forever change the history of NASCAR? And let's find out. Welcome to the Talking Shift Podcast. My name is Cody Greer, and I'm your host, and alongside me, as always, my co-host, Trey Swaney. I was born in 92. And Kayla Bailey. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> That's right, Shift Heads. We're talking about NASCAR again. The NASCAR of the 90s. The best version of NASCAR, in my opinion. The, the version of NASCAR that if I had a time machine, I'd go back to see these races. When the men were men and the cars had men that drove them and the men worked at the track. <laughs> and the cars actually kind of sort of looked like cars. Well, 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 92, they weren't really looking like cars anymore. If you squint and tilt your head to the side and kind of hum while you do it, the car. <laughs> and slap yourself in the face a couple times. So Trey mentions a good point. So if anybody's ever seen the movie Days of Thunder, the cars were pretty much the same. You had a Chevrolet Lumina, Ford Thunderbird, Oldsmobiles, Yet again, show me a V8 Lumina. The super duper sporty <laughs> Ford Thunderbird. What with a V8 though? Very important. Dog shit car, terrible motor. <laughs> Ford Thunderbird. This is like Ford's like right there. Shit motor. Hey, this is coming from the guy with a six cylinder Bronco. Hey. Yeah, don't forget that they had a uh, their super powered Thunderbird for that year was a turbocharged V6. <laughs> Ford and their V6s. I don't know. They're just obsessed just, with them, man. Yeah. I... So, boys, are you ready to learn about one of the most iconic races of all time in NASCAR history? Teach me, NASCAR master. Trey, what about you? I, I know this race. Uh, okay, well, you were, are you ready to learn a little more? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm ready for you to teach me. Okay. Teach so, me, Daddy. So, the 1992 NASCAR season was an interesting one. Previous to this, Dale Earnhardt, who we all know, or if you don't know, Dale Earnhardt throughout the late 80s and early 90s was dominating everything. There's a reason they call him the Intimidator. There's a reason they call him the man. He was winning everything. He'd won the 1990 and the 1991 championships two in a row. And previous to that, he won a couple in the late 80s as well. But this season was a little bit different. The three team was off this year. They weren't quite the same. So going into the 1992 Hooters 500, which is the finale for the NASCAR race, there was actually six drivers mathematically eligible to win the championship, which is, if you listen to our first NASCAR episode, you know that we have this weird playoff chase gimmick now, which everybody is kind of available to win a championship in the last race. In 92, it wasn't quite that way. Also, Hooters doesn't really sponsor races anymore, so I'd like to point out the fact that... Sponsor Chase. They do well, yeah, but they don't sponsor a race. Fair. So, just think the Hooters 500. You've got NASCAR, 
you have it was Bush series then still no it was uh, Winston, Winston Cup series. it was still Winston so you've got cigarettes and fast cars interesting <laughs> as we're entering the final race the standings stood as this Davy Allison as we mentioned in the preview if you don't know who Davy Allison is Davy Allison is the son of NASCAR legend Bobby Allison who's won a multitude of NASCAR races I think up in the echelon of 80 races he won the championship in 1983. He is a legend in the sport. Part of the iconic Alabama gang, Caleb, in NASCAR, which is composed of himself, Neil Bonnet, Red Farmer, Davey Allison. I mean, just so many iconic names throughout the NASCAR history. The actual the backstretch at Talladega is called the Alabama gang backstretch. Hmm. Well, you want to take with bootlegging. Heck about they still bootleg <laughs> to this day. Um, then, in second entering the race, you had Alan Kowicki. Alan Kowicki was a northerner from Wisconsin who owned his own team, actually. Well, the name like Kowicki, you would expect it. But yeah. Alan actually used a lot of engineering tactics for the first time in NASCAR. You know how I told you in the NASCAR episode, engineering really, really took off in the late 90s? This man was at the forefront of it. He used engineer front before anybody else did and was an owner-driver in a time where it really wasn't a big thing anymore. Third, we had Bill Elliott. Awesome Bill from Dawsonville. Yep. Bill Elliott was the 1988 Cup Series champion, and in 1992, he went to drive for Junior Johnson. He had been driving for Melling Racing, which was actually a family team before this, and went for Junior Johnson in the 1992 season. And he was up for the championship again. Caleb will appreciate Junior Johnson a lot. Junior Johnson was a true moonshiner. I don't know about him. You know about Junior Johnson? I know know about him and his side business back in the day. I know he was one of the ones who was one of the founders. Well, stay tuned, Shift Heads. We might get an episode on Junior Johnson next year. Sounds like a good time right there. But... We're going to talk about the top three. Now, there were technically, I told you, there were six people mathematically eligible for the championship. Fourth was Harry Gant. Fifth was Kyle Petty. And sixth was Mark Martin. While they all had a shot at the championship, they were an outside shot. It was pretty much the other three had to have a catastrophe and, you know, situational had to happen and they would be eligible. We're going to stick to our main three players in this story. Now, alongside this story... There's also a couple of side stories. This was actually the last race for Richard Petty. Trey, how do you end the career of an icon? It, there's no right... I mean, the only way you end the career is you win another race, but at that point, what, he had hit 200. And 84. Yeah. And so he had raced for another eight years without a win. And he's racing. His son is in the running, like you said. He's in fourth place. Which son was that? Yeah, Kyle. Kyle Petty was uh, his son in that. Kyle's son didn't pass away until later in the early 2000s. or 2000, exactly. Yeah, 2000, exactly. But Kyle being in the race and everything, Lori actually was not involved in this. Um, She's making, what, point break at this time? Something like that. Or point of her own. Point Point Break came out in 92, right? It was either that or League of Their Own. Yeah. I don't remember which one it was. League of Their Own was later 90s. But anyway, we'll leave it to a foreshadowing to what happens to uh, 
old the king in this race, but they let him leave to go surf the storm. <laughs> yeah, or he gets to play baseball against his sister. I, honestly, if he could have had his choice to go out in a race and be close to the top, this would have been the one because oh. this was a storm of a race. It absolutely was. Not only was it Richard Petty's last race, but it was a young kid named Jeff Gordon's first Winston Cup Series race. And um, Caleb, you're not a NASCAR guy, but I think you know who that is. Yeah, wasn't he real big with Tide for a while or something? No. Oh. DuPont, actually. DuPont, that's right. DuPont. <laughs> Tide was... Uh... Ricky Rudd for a long Ricky time. Ricky Rudd for a long time. Oh, okay. But yeah, so... I didn't know who Jeff Gordon is. I'm just being... Oh. Facetious. Silly. Silly. Silly boy. Silly boy. That's me. So, whether or not we knew it at the time, Richard Petty's last race and Jeff Gordon's first race was at the same time. How, I mean, like, looking back on it, you know, at a 100-foot view... That's insane to think about. You know, one legend, one seven-time champion, the only seven-time champion at the time, retiring, and then a future four-time champion, 93 race wins, arguably the best modern racer in NASCAR history starting their first race. Also, you combine their two careers, the fact that they overlap in that one race, you go from pretty much the beginning of NASCAR with Richard into what 2016 15 15 15 for for him retiring so that's literally from what richard's first race was late 50s yes sir so 58 59 all the way to 2015 if you combine those two careers together and they overlap right there beginning and end is just crazy to think about well and the crazy crazier thing about it is there's a petty a Gordon and an Earnhardt mm-hmm. in a race. You know, and until Dale Jr. retired at the end of 17. You was, always had one of those names in the race. I mean, you had Kyle. Uh, there was always a Petty, an Earnhardt, or a Gordon in the race. Yeah, but now there's not. But that's insanity. That, that, but, but but you still got an Elliott in a race. You do. It's Bill's son, who we mentioned in the, in the first, Chase, who is the 2020 Cup Series champion, is currently racing in NASCAR. Yes. Oh. But as we're going to get into the race a little bit more, it was a three-horse race for the championship. As we mentioned, Bill Elliott had been the champion in 1988. Davey and Allen were looking for their first championships. Now, heading into the race, Davey Allen had a 30-point lead over Alan Kowicki and a 40-point lead over Bill Elliott. So, all Davey needed to do in the race was essentially finish decently and he could quench the championship. Now, NASCAR had what they call the Langford point system, which was a weird, I'm never going to get into it in this podcast, a weird point distributing system. Who's Langford? I don't know. Oh. That's for a future episode. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the guy that wrote uh, uh, Great Gatsby? No. That's F. Scott Fitzgerald. Why why are you fucking Scott Fitzgerald? (laughs) (laughs) Classic. What did he do to you? But this, like I said, this never happened. You never had this close of point battles before. All Davey needed to do was sustain a reasonable position on the track, and he could clinch the championship. He would be only the second father-son duo in NASCAR history to clinch a championship. Trey, I'll give you a guess as to the other 
father-son duo who had, who had quenched a championship before this. Petty. Lee and Richard Petty. Yep. Yes, sir. You were Daddy Petty. and son. I was going to guess Gary and Jake Busey. No. No. I'm not <laughs> <at all>. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points if you can tell me who did it after them. Uh, Father-son after them. The Earnhardt's? No. Uh, Junior never won one. Uh, you got... Father, son, after that, it would be... The hint is part of the Dale and Dale show. No, uh, uh, Dale, uh, what's his last name? Shit, I see their faces, too. His... 88. Yeah, his uh, his son and uh, Earnhardt Sr. had a little bit of a rivalry. Yeah, he drove the quality care forward. Yep. Please shoot it to me, Cody, because I know his last name, but... Dale Jarrett. Yeah, old Jarrett. Dale Jarrett. His dad won and he won. And after that, who else is, who was after that? I just said it as a hint. He's part of this race. Bill Elliott. Yeah, Bill Elliott and Chase Elliott. Yeah. Those are the people who have had. Dale Jarrett. Well, what's his dad's name? Jared? Ned Jarrett. Ned Jarrett. Gentleman Ned. Yeah. So that's what history was on the line for Davey. So Davey just had to sustain his position on the track. And he could win the championship. Whatever happened to the guys that had double first names? Uh, well, Billy you, Job, Billy Joe, Billy Job, Jimmy <laughs> Bobby, or something. Well, <laughs> you're Ricky Bobby, and uh, that was just the first and the last name. Yeah. You're the guy wearing overalls. You tell me. <laughs> Couldn't even wear Liberty overalls. How dare you? They don't make Liberty long enough to fit me. Yeah, they do. My grandfather's taller than you are, and they fit him. I couldn't find anything like that. You got a special order from Walmart. So. As the race began, Davy Allison was doing pretty well. But about halfway through the race, Davy was involved in a crash. He T-boned the number four Kodak car. And at that point, Davy's championship hopes were over. Which, if you're keeping up with the shift heads, means the championship had to go to one of two people. Bill Elliott or Alan Kowicki. Now, Alan Kowicki, as I mentioned previously, was an engineer-based racer. He was a strategized racer. He'd only won two races in this season so far. Bill had won many more than that. But it was almost a checkers or records situation for Bill Elliott. He either win a race and dominate it, or he would wreck out. So, Alan Kowicki realized this. In the old mathematical point system, you would get five bonus points for leading a lap. You would get an additional five bonus points if you led the most laps. Realizing this, Kowicki's team said, we're going to do what we need to do to win the championship. So they stayed out longer on tires to lead the most laps of the race, and they would do so. They led the most laps in the race by guess how much, Trey? One lap. One lap to the T. And guess who ended up actually winning the race? Bill Elliott won the race. You would think in your head, this is a celebration. This is the greatest. I've won this race. You win the championship. Like This isn't 2022 anymore, though. No. It's not even 2022 yet. This is 1992. This is 1992. You're right. 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Bill Elliott won the race. But because Kowicki led the most laps, and finished second, he clinched the championship. 
this race is iconic because of the strategy, because of the intrigue, because of everything that had gone on. Alan Kowicki won the championship when no one – he'd only had five victories to his name before this, ever. He was – on the front of his car, I told you guys it was a Ford Thunderbird. He'd actually gotten permission from Ford to put the words Underbird on the front of the car because going into this race, everybody thought he was underdog. No one gave him a shot to win. Before the season had started for Alan Kowicki, he had no sponsor going into Daytona. He lost his sponsorship. Hooters eventually picked up his sponsorship and went throughout the year after he'd won the race. So you're talking about a guy who is an owner-driver from the north who had no sponsor going into the biggest race of the year at the end of the year winning the championship. That is an underdog story that not even ESPN could write on 30 for 30. I mean, boys. It's, I kind of, part of me wishes we still have that kind of point system and everything, but then, like like we talked about, it was very rare for that point system to work out like that towards the end of the year. Usually by, right before the race even starts, no matter what somebody does, they're not going to win it. That's it. Somebody's already crowned champion. Right. It's just a no holds bar. Just nah, throw it out to the wind. This person's already the champion. I'm just going to win this race and get that bag. But especially how nowadays they do it, and you've got your playoffs and everything, your eliminations. And somebody wrecks or spins out somebody. And well, it was just such a it's such a strategic game with this type of point system. That's what makes the intrigue so interesting in this race is that the underdog got the dub. Yep. And quite frankly, it was for Ford too. Ford had not won a championship in years, Trey, and they would not win another championship until the aforementioned Dale Jarrett would win it in 1999. This is 92. Was Hank Deuce still running Ford at this time or he retired? I think he might have been retired at this yeah, time. Yeah, he, he retired. Hey, Shiftheads, it's your old pal, Caleb. I want to talk to you about something that's very important to all of us here at Shiftheads. And I want to talk to you about Tyler Gibson, graphic designer. He's done a lot to get us where we are today. He's made a lot of our posters. He made my wedding invitations and my wedding announcements. He's done a lot for all of us here. He created our logo. And with that, we want to go ahead and talk about him and what he can do for you. He can do anything in this graphic design stuff. If you want to... If you want an image of yourself looking like uh, King Kong fighting Godzilla and Godzilla to be your boss, you can do that. You hate your boss, we do too. We hate your boss also. As a graphic designer slash artist where creativity is expected and appreciated, through his approach, he helps clients and their brands meet their full potential and continually challenges himself to deliver the simplest, most effective and efficient solutions he possibly can. Tower Gibson has professional knowledge in the following softwares. Illustrator, Photoshop, InDesign, XD, WordPress, and HTML and CSS. Tyler says that let's work together to create a game-changing experience that will take your brand from bland 
to Buzzworthy, and he can do it. CreativeTyler.net, or give him a call at 601-209-9155. Tell him the shift head sent you. He'll appreciate it. So, after the success of this season of 1992, all of our players would enter 1993 with great optimism for the championship, for the season, for everything going for them. Davey Allison had momentum going into the year. So did Alec Wiki and so did Bill Elliott. Unfortunately for two of these competitors, it would end tragically. Alan Kowicki was killed in a plane accident with many other Hooters executives in 1993. Davy Allison was involved in a helicopter accident in 1993, and his life was tragically taken from us. So two of our competitors from this amazing race were taken from us the following year. As a tribute to them both, Rusty Wallace and Dale Earnhardt would fly flags of Allison and Kowicki, both in the final race of 1993, to show support from their fallen friends. I think we can all agree that it's unfair that these two great competitors were taken from us from really circumstances outside of racing. And it's part of the intrigue that makes this race so iconic is the fact that these Competitors were unfortunately not able to be around anymore. Yeah, because Davey was, what, 26, 27? He was a very, very young man. And Kawiki was young, like early 30s. Yeah. And as an owner-driver, and you don't see that anymore. You don't see that owner-driver. Well, and Trey, you bring up a good point about the owner-drivers. Kawiki started something in the 90s that, in my opinion, really hurt a lot of people in the 90s. He was an outlier. He was an owner champion. Kowicki was the only owner champion in NASCAR until 2011 when Tony Stewart did it. Yep, Stewart Haas. But he inspired a ton of people in the 90s to go out and try it themselves. Kowicki's team was actually taken over by his good friend Jeff Bodine. And the team had moderate success throughout the 90s. But other drivers also tried the owner-driver thing in hopes of the same success as Kowicki. The aforementioned Bill Elliott went to his own team in 1994. Now, we had mentioned he drove driven for Junior Johnson in 92. This was the last year that Junior Johnson's team was actually in any way successful. Now, he would go on to win a couple of races with Jimmy Spencer, but they were never again that competitive. Junior Johnson just fell behind the engineering trends and was too old school in his ways to really do anything else. Yeah, like throwing it back to another podcast I've listened to recently, how talking from a driver going to his back to his own team that has drivers on it and everything, trying to do it, he always said, don't go from a winner to a loser. Like, if you're winning where you're at, stay where you're at. Like, that that team's just not quite there yet. And that's kind of what happened to Bill in that circumstance. Yeah, Bill went to start his own team. If you recognize it from the 90s, the number 94 McDonald's Ford, that's Bill Elliott. That was his own team. Mm-hmm. Other drivers followed suit, such as Ricky Rudd. He started his own team. The number 10 tied car from the 90s, Ricky Rudd's own team. Many, many tried to do this. Oh. And 
They had moderate success. None of them had the kind of success that Kowicki did. But it really showed drivers that the financial disparities of NASCAR at the time, because most of them lost their ass trying to run this team and be a driver at the same time. Because if you notice in the late 2000s that when Bill Elliott went to Dodge, like we mentioned in the first podcast, and that Ricky Rudd went back to Robert Yates, they started really winning and being competitive again because they weren't owning the cars that they drove. Yep. It takes away a lot of the aspects of running a team, running a garage, and everything else. All you got to do is have a good crew chief that makes sure your car runs good and you don't have to control any of the outliers, worry about your sponsorships and all that, and you can just drive. Focus on driving, being fast, and doing what you need to do as a driver, not just as an owner. So with that, though, like Koiki passing away tragically, and he was kind of a pioneer, so to speak, with the early 90s, how he was more into engineering. As an owner-driver, he focused more on that engineering perspective and how to get certain downforce and modeling the car just right, like we've talked about in our first two episodes we ever put out is just to imagine that took off more in the late nineties, but he was doing it in the early nineties and won a championship with it. So it's kind of a, what could have been type situation with him and what could have gone forward and how his team could have possibly prospered and him add extra. Well, nowadays charters and extra cars to that team. Well, yeah, that's a great point, Trey. I mean, it's almost, his to me, his Alan Kowicki story is just one of those of the what ifs. What if he he would have stuck around? I mean, would he, would he have just been a one time champion that was this lucky one off? Would he have been an engineering pioneer that brought about these great changes? I'm in the wheelhouse that Kowicki would have won another one. He would have. Think so? His team would have. He would have gotten another driver in there. He might have stepped away and filled somebody in that car and. Like, that man was really smart when it came to engineering in a car. To me, the biggest what-if in this whole race is Davey Allison. Yeah. That that man, he could have taken away championships from senior. I and really, Jeff Gordon. I really and truly, because he would have raced, because he was young then, and Jeff was, what, 24 or so, 23? So he's just a few years older so. To think about, like, we could have had Davey Allison versus Jeff Gordon versus Jeff Gordon and taken away champions possibly from Jimmy Johnson or in the mid to late 2010s if he would have continued to race. And that would have been that's a fantastic point to think about that he's the biggest what if because the 28 car, the Texaco car that he drove, had a bunch of different drivers throughout the 2000s. I mean, you had Ernie Irvin who got hurt. It was almost a cursed car. Yeah. Because Ernie Irvin... There, there was a lot of curse behind that car. And... Nobody drives a 28 anymore, do they? No, because Robert Yates shut down. Yeah. Um, but that that's the biggest what-if in the story to me. Bill Elliott, we know how his story goes. But those two drivers that passed, tragically passed away, it's just the biggest what-ifs in NASCAR. That's why this race is so iconic. It's so important to realize... All the different factors that go into it, and we didn't. The fact that we did not have another close points battle in NASCAR until literally ten years later in two thousand two, when Tony Stewart won his first championship. There were several different competitors that year that could have won it. Jimmy Johnson in his rookie year, Mark Martin, Tony Stewart, Sterling Marlin, who got hurt late in the year. That was the first time in 
Lord knows how long we had a competitive battle in NASCAR for a championship. And some say that that actually led to the implementation of the crazy, stupid point systems that we have now. So this race inspired a lot, boys. That's why I wanted to harp on this race. That's why I wanted to make it a whole entire podcast was to show the importance of how one race can shape a sport for forever, honestly. So with all this, I mean, me and Cody kind of know the players and the game and everything. Caleb, you learn a little bit. I learn a lot. To me, this sounds like one of those, every now and again, you have a major moment in history that's, you know, significant for whatever reason, whether it be who was there, what they did, or what happened. It can be an event anywhere from sporting to music to anything else. It sounds like one of those, to me, this sounds like one of those events, one of those, there was never a moment like this before, and there'll never be one like it after that, because so much stuff changed after. It was a boiling over point, what it sounds like to me. You're absolutely, and it's just like something meeting in the universe that just... Like a big bang. Like a big bang that's never probably ever going to happen again and on that bombshell we're gonna end this podcast of the greatest race in nascar history my name is cody my name is trey i'm caleb good night shift heads good night this has been a production of sgb media